This is episode 27 of the NASA and Silicon Valley podcast. From farms, national parks, and even responding to natural disasters throughout the country and the world, NASA's science and data collection is making a difference in people's lives every day. Today's guest is Ian Brosnan, who works on collecting that data and making sure it is shared throughout the federal government and with the scientific community. Ian is a special assistant for new NASA and USGS initiatives. We discuss how NASA collaborates and shares data with other agencies, and also go into how data collection on the ground can complement data taken from space, which all helps us to better understand not only our world, but other worlds in our solar system and beyond. Without any delay, here's Ian Brosnan. How did you end up at NASA? How did you end up in this area in Silicon Valley? So I actually came here right out of grad school under the Presidential Management Fellowship Program. Okay. Um, particularly under a track that NASA was key in initiating, which is the STEM okay. side. Uh, so they're really interested in bringing folks in, I think, who wouldn't traditionally come into the federal government with a technical degree, but had an interest in federal leadership and management. Okay. So it was a perfect fit for me because I'm before grad school, I spent my career in the Coast Guard. So oh, wow. Really, interested yeah. in sort of pinning together that technical and that leadership side. Was it the Coast Guard that sent you to go do your grad school stuff? Or? No, it wasn't. I actually left Coast Guard um, back in 2009, went into the reserve side then, um, but I was funded by DOD to do my PhD research. A lot of work on acoustics nice. and fish tracking. Really? So where did you do that? Cornell University. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, I'd Cornell is not necessarily known as the world's largest oceanographic institution. <laughs> um, not a lot of oceans near Cornell. <laughs> no, not a lot. Um, but there was a small, small but distinct community of uh, earth scientists, and particularly ocean scientists there, and spread across the different departments. Cool. And I'd known my advisor since I was a little kid, and he'd started really? up this group and program on the West Coast uh, to do the salmon survival work. So when I heard about it, I just gave him a call and hadn't talked to him in about 20 years and thought it was a great opportunity, so I went. Nice. So, so go from salmon studies in Cornell to right. then I'm guessing you just saw it online of, hey, sign up for the PMF, the Presidential Management Fellowship. Right. You just applied for it, did yeah, it the was, interview, it was, and that was it? It was pretty interesting. So this job was never actually advertised. Yeah, because um, the PMF, it's not necessarily, you don't know what you're going to go, what federal agency you're going into beforehand. Right. It's yeah, I know like, the series of hurdles you jump through in interviews and even once you're selected into the program I think it's still only about 60% actually get picked up yeah. while they have an active chance but no I got a call we have a position open would you be interested in it so they came looking for you they did yeah. oh funny because I know a lot of people who are in the PMF program they get in they pass they took their exam they're in right and now they got to go sell their resume out to all these federal agencies of like please pick me up exactly um, and I think selling the resume is an important piece right I think a lot of people don't do that they just wait uh, so I was mm -hmm. all over DC talking to different agencies but this one actually did come out of the blue and wow. I think that's probably because I think our HR folks in DC were critical in creating the program and so they mm -hmm. instructed the centers to get out and start actively looking Oh, wow. So they found you in this pile of new PMF right. employees. And so they called you up and like, how about coming to California? Right. And my wife and I had been looking to come back west for a while. We were yeah. stationed together in Seattle for a few years. And I grew okay. up in Portland, Oregon. So it was nice to nice to be back on the west coast, yeah. back in the mountains and the sea. Excellent. And so um, 
when you came over, did you automatically, I mean, did you continue doing salmon studies at NASA? <laughs> or how did that, how did that, what, what job did you end up land, landing into? Well, so I landed near science division because we still had an NSF postdoc I'd won at Cornell. Okay, that's um, the National Science, National science Foundation, science right? Yeah. Um, pretty big half million dollar grant to do some technology development. And I wasn't quite ready just to hand that over. I think Nora was the lab I was leaving, <laughs> quite ready to take all that on. So we continued to do a little bit of work with them, uh, a lot of fish surgery up in the Northwest, Okay. Um, a lot of equipment deployments. And then once everything was sort of in place to track these fish with this new prototype technology, you know, we could sort of turn it over then. Um, so yeah, so I've done a little bit. I've published two papers since I've been here. Oh, wow. Um, what were those on? on? The first one was looking at um, survival rates going downstream of dams. Okay. Um, right. So the big question right now is do we sort of increase the amount of water we pour over the top of the dam to benefit salmon by moving them to the ocean quickly? Okay. But the negative side effect of that is you increase the amount of gas, dissolved gas in the water. Okay. And so when salmon sort of run that water over their gills, kind of a lot like the divers get the bends, it sort of bubbles out into their bloodstream and can either kill them almost immediately, kind of a stroke type event, mm -hmm. uh, or it can basically create debilitating illness that makes them more vulnerable to predation and disease. And so it's a sort of secondary mortality effect. And so we were interested in 2011 when they had a massive flood and they had to spill to kind of preserve the integrity yeah. of the dams, do a natural experiment to look at that effect. So we okay. found you know, some effect at very high levels of spill. And I know some people would be like, how is this NASA? We're talking about like, like dams and spillover. So right. That, how does that the connection go on through? NASA's <laughs> got a definite interest in our science, but a lot of that Obviously. focus is from looking at looking at the Earth from space. So we're really just continuing the research that was ongoing when I got here, and then wrap it up and move a little more towards research that I think is of closer NASA interest. So I'm bringing that technology um, skill mm -hmm. set for tagging animals and sensors, and trying to bring that together with different groups here understand, you know, like Jingli has this carbon nanotube sensor that can do gas detection. Okay. How can we use that to understand, you know, the concentration of flux of gases okay. all over the world simply by putting that sensor on the back of an animal and letting it fly around the Pacific Ocean. do it for you. Right, exactly. So no aircraft, no pilot, very low-cost sensor. All you really need is a grad student in the field. Wow. It's one of those interesting things of, you know, of all the planets that exist in our solar system and beyond. Right. You know, like we're kind of sitting on one. It, it behooves us to understand what's going on here, especially if we're looking at other, you know, exoplanets and trying to see if there's any comparabilities or, or just trying to see how, just to understand it better. It, I think it makes sense for us to know where we live and see how that compares to other places. Yeah, it definitely does. So. And also the tech transfer of like, okay, how can you take this that we're using? Yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, that's tech transfer piece is a really great point. I think a lot of that work that we do, cause mm -hmm. I think part of the reason why Jingli developed a sensor was to be able to detect trace gases up in, uh, on the space station during mm -hmm. space flight. But how would the sort of ecological or atmospheric chemistry groups know that that instrument had been developed and was sort of available for tech transfer? Okay. So having a different people come in through the center with different skill sets and different communities really gives you a chance to sort of say, oh, that piece that you have there, we could really use that over here okay. um, for a small bit of seed funding, make that transfer and create a whole new line of research for folks. Yeah, so what's your day-to-day -day like? So when I got here, one of the things that was sort of a live topic was the idea of moving U.S. Geological Survey from their Menlo Park campus onto NASA Ames. To and that's a cool thing, especially in the Silicon Valley area. Of course, you have the companies, you have these tech startups, big tech companies. Um, Stanford, you have these, but you also have other federal agencies. It's like right. here we are looking at space, then you know the U.S. Geological Survey that's looking in the ground. 
Right. Um, and that's a really, you know, really interesting point, right? They're at the ground level, we're on the space and air side, so we have this interesting opportunity as they come here to work orbit to core. Nice. Right, nice. And, and we'd worked with them before, even in this area, so what kind we of stuff have, have we worked yeah. with? So we've had a kind of long history, I think, with USGS nationally, right? They were heavily involved in the early lunar program, helping to map different planets. I think they still do that work with NASA, look mm-hmm. at the visual imagery and create um, maps for rover uh, yeah. use. Um, but particularly here between Menlo Park and, and NASA, we've got about a million dollars that have come in from USGS over the last couple of years. Oh, really? Especially to sort of look at the technologies that we have and see if they can be applied to USGS's particular problems. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a group in TI that's developing near real TI is like one uh, of our technology engineering Thanks, folks. right. Yeah. That's the, um, what is it, intelligence systems area. So yeah, we do okay. a lot of data mining work and algorithm development. And they're looking at some of the imagery coming off our satellites to do okay. near real-time satellite, or sorry, near real-time flood mapping by satellite. Okay. So if there's a major hazard somewhere, USGS can turn to that algorithm and quickly develop flood maps for responders. Oh, wow. Right. So that's that's one advantage, one example. Uh, the engineers, going back to the tagging work. We're, I was going to say, I thought there was something with tagging. I, I was That kind of fits over to some of the work they were doing. Yeah. So that's sort of the third leg of this piece of work that Jing Li and I have been doing, right? We're interested in the ecology and bringing that sensor in, but they're also interested in developing new lightweight tags that they can integrate these sensors okay. to. So Chad Frost and Dane Kemp have been working very hard to sort of develop a new, smaller satellite tag uh, okay. that they can put on small birds, right? So you lower the weight and size and um, dimensions of the tag. You can tag a much wider range of animals. It's about five percent of the body weight. So okay. even a few, you know, a gram or two reduction opens up a whole new world of research. They have these animals who have these like small, like light tags, then are out gathering data for you. Exactly. And not only you know where the where the animals are, but then like their environment, what they're walking through. Exactly. So it's it's animals as a subject of research interest, right? So we want to know where they go, mm-hmm. where do they nest, where do they migrate through, what are they exposed to as they go. And then the idea of the animal also is a research platform. So you may not okay. be that concerned about what the animal's doing, but you're really interested in the environment it's flying through. Yeah, I was so. going to say, when you're talking about like the U.S. Geological Survey and even not, you know, also NASA, of course. So you, normally when you think of USGS, you think of like earthquakes and like right. things like that. How, how does that match in with like tagging animals and looking at from the satellites? Right. So this, flood is, a, mapping. this <laughs> is a bit of federal government history, right? If you look back, <laughs> how many times have we brought agencies together and sort of mushed them into one new larger agency. Okay. Right. So this happened, I think, heard last night, right? National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, who also have a now presence in the Silicon Valley. Right. They're a mapping agency and a visual imagery agencies that were brought together about 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, USGS is similar. They were U.S. Geological Survey to begin with, and then they brought in the National Biological Survey. So oh, wow. and integrated all of Department of Interior science under that. USGS hat. So as a function of that, they do the traditional earthquakes, they do traditional water research and hydrology, but they've also got that strong biological component. And, you know, the other thing that's, I think, a benefit to that is, you know, as we sort of look more and more at the natural world, we realize we can't look at it in these single silos, right? It's not just geology, it's the overlying ecology and the two that affect each other. So having them together, I think, is an opportunity to work across those traditional boundaries. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, you think of the the federal government as this Behemoth, <laughs> this big organization made up of all these different agencies and these different, you know, uh, different entities. Um, you know, it makes sense. You have scientists who are working on stuff. You know, you can keep them in their silos, working by themselves with their own teams. Or you can start like cross integration, and everybody can kind of start sharing their data. 
Um, right. Let alone when you look at science, then it's also a matter of like sharing it with like universities and with other people to kind of get that overarching, you know, the, the big picture look, I guess, and right. more hands in it. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's really what we're trying to push with the USGS move, right? They're, that's right, because they're moving, yeah. they were, you, you said that they were up at Menlo Park, but they're coming over here to Moffett Airfield, you know, right, you know, near Mountain View. And right, exactly. So they're not far now, right? I mean, depending on the state of the traffic, it's a 15 to 30 minute mm-hmm. drive. But, but it's also nice when you can share office space. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in the building next door. Right. And we know well that you know, as you move people closer and closer together, right? They're in separate campuses. You move them onto the same campus, or you move them into the same building, or you move them onto the same wing of the building or the same floor. Uh-huh. Your probability of having these collaborative opportunities basically goes from almost nothing to nearly a hundred percent. It's also social-wise. It's like as right. a person you hang out with, people become friends, and then so when you're doing your work, it's such an obvious thing of like, oh, I know Bill over there, or right. I know Susie. She's working on. This exactly. Thing, so <laughs> Yeah, no, you have those water cooler conversations, that conversation over lunch, and you talk about, oh, I've got this new initiative, and I'm looking you know, to do some lab work with it, but we don't really have the skills here. And I don't know where to go, and maybe somebody else around the table says, oh, you know what, we've got that exact piece of equipment that you need, and we can help. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so those, I'm really looking forward to those, as you say, those sort of community opportunities those, that will pop up in the conversation. The, the synergy buzzword of bringing exactly. people together. <laughs> right. Um, but then I think, you know, those are the things that will pop up naturally in conversation. But we'd also like to take it a little bit bigger than that and see, you know, are there areas where, where we can work to orbit mm-hmm. core collaboratively, not just in these kind of small opportunities? You know, could we, for example, launch some different airborne missions to look at earthquake faults and understand better, is, say, the Cascadia Fault one long continuous fault yeah. or a series of small ones that are likely to go in little bits, right? And that scientific question, which I understand, hasn't really been well resolved really drives how the nation is going to prepare for and then respond to a massive earthquake like that. Absolutely. And that's something USGS doesn't necessarily have, you know, the history and the experience in doing those kinds of airborne campaigns and developing the necessary instruments, but we do. Yeah, and so then they there's can no reason for them to reinvent the wheel and relearn it. Like exactly. We can work together. We can provide them. Right. And they'll see the solicitation come up, right? But now... Instead of just seeing a solicitation and trying to understand how to respond to it, they can see these solicitations and say, yo, you know what? We have the partners next door who've done this before and can help us get there. What do you see in kind of the future of the advantages of working together? So I think the big one for us is going after some of the hazards research. Okay. Um, You know, so earthquakes, earthquake modeling, really bringing not only our kind of the airborne science skills we have at Ames, but also the supercomputing resources to those complex models. Which is also relevant because we have a FEMA disaster, you know, response team also located at at Moffett Field. Exactly. Right. So if you think about disaster response occurring at several levels, right, there'll be the initial first responders, life safety folks out there doing the work on the ground, but there'll also be a big scientific response behind it, which USGS will be closely Mm -hmm. involved in. And then NASA can play a key role in understanding how USGS is going to respond scientifically and help them provide new technologies, new tools, new research in order to support that function. So in one respect, you could think about a, a major hazard here in the California area, okay. earthquakes. Right? We all one. have a vested interest right. in understanding how that response is going to go. Exactly. But think too, right? The, amazing thing that could happen is that response could be led, scientifically could be led out of Moffett Field with NASA and USGS working closely together. So that's one of the visions that we have, mm-hmm. right? Not just the fundamental research, but the applied research and the immediate response. So when something goes down, it's a group effort. Right. And the people know to come here, right? It's like, ah, the thing has happened. Let's tap into what's happening at NASA and USGS and see how it can help. It almost kind of follows the Silicon Valley kind of model. You have like ideas outside the box. It's like the right. thinking that you probably wouldn't have ever 
thought of before. Right. And I don't think people have, I mean, maybe probably the idea has been floated. There's not a, that many new ideas under the sun and disasters at this <laughs> stage. But uh, I think we're now kind of coming to the point where that idea will come to fruition and a lot of things hopefully will sort of stem off of that. All right. So, um, so tell us a little bit more about like your day to day. Obviously, you know, trying to move and bring scientists together isn't like that's that's not your whole day job. What are you working on right now? Um, well, you know, actually, I gotta say, it feels like a lot of my day job is trying to figure out how to bring <laughs> scientists a, together. Yeah. yeah, you know, because it's a lot of there's a lot of little things like, well, we want to work together. Well, how do we do that? Well, we have some ideas, but. We, you know, need a little bit of seed funding in order to get it over the threshold that we could write a larger proposal. So, okay, listening and responding to that, we're like, okay, let's see if we can draw some seed funding from the center and from headquarters to get the things and going. I'm sure there may be things on their side as well. If they, like, have this great project, but they just haven't been able to get off the ground. And by you weren't able to talk before, and now you can talk, figure out, okay, well, hey, we have this asset, we have this. Some right. of the ideas that have just kind of thought not possible, but for some reason together, then you're able to pull it off. Exactly. And then also thinking about how do we connect people who haven't had that opportunity yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll do a big event coming up in February. We're going to do kind of two pieces. Okay. There'll be a big capabilities fair in the morning where scientists okay. come out and say, here's what I have as an instrument, right? I could fly the Alpha Jet. Um, which is one of the experiments we have going on in the yeah. science division. One of the first interviews for the podcast. Yeah. So for people listening, go back. I think is episode three or so with Laura Arachi right. talking about Ajax. Exactly. Yeah. So Laura might come in with her poster and just hang that and have a chance for USGS folks to walk around and say, oh, you know, we're really interested in collecting that measurement here. Maybe we could apply together to a grant. Is that mainly federal people who do the who are involved in the post, this? I think the posters, both the poster session and the capabilities fair are going to be focused broadly on the earth science community in the area. Okay, so anybody. So yep. So anybody should be able to come, right? And we'll have a website up. Uh, we don't have it yet ready yet, but we'll have a website for people to come online, enter in the capability they have, what size poster they want to host, what they think the field of research um, okay. either their poster is on or their capability fits to. And then we'll pull all that together. So anybody who's interested in that field, who's working on it, can mm-hmm. not only come in and look at the posters themselves, if they have something they want to show off, hey, exactly. let's all work together and figure it out. Yep. So I think last year we did this, we had over 300 people. Um, you know, USGS and NASA were heavily represented. But we had folks in from the private sector, from the uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations show up. Uh, we had a few folks from academia there as well. So we really caught the full spectrum. Excellent. So once you have the the site up and running, we'll add that to the notes. Yeah, So that people know to hyperlink on over. So day to day, it really is a lot of talking to folks, um, getting them interested, getting them excited about the possibilities. And then the other side of my day is trying to get a little bit of research done. So writing a proposal on... You're keeping it old school, not just schmoozing and connecting people. You got to go do some research, get get some dirt under your nails. Exactly, (laughs) right. you know, and that always keeps you fresh and makes you understand sort of where the state of the science is, what the challenges are, what's mm-hmm. popping up. So we've got, you know, a couple of projects running, um, thinking about how we might bring some of NASA's technologies to bear on on that scientific collaboration question. Yeah. Right? How do people find out if they're going to be in the field? And this is probably more coordination and collaboration. But if you're ready to go into the field, you're like, yeah. you know, be really nice if somebody was on the ground doing some measurements as I fly my aircraft over and I could hand them an instrument to carry with them and just collect some data. Right now, you'd have to kind of wander the halls and figure out who might be out there. So many missed opportunities, but right. just a, an increase of like collaboration, coordination, as you said. Right. So make that stuff easier. Yeah. And we have tools and technologies here, right? Like the Earth Science Division runs MTS. Uh, which is a situational awareness tool to know where all of their aircraft are flying. Right? Okay. The Mission Tool Suite is what, what it's called. 
But what if we could use that to be sort of forward-looking and predictive, right? Where you enter in all of your aircraft requests, but then if somebody else comes along and says, oh, you know what, I'll be in the railroad valley, I wonder what's going overhead, they can okay. type in the date and time and boom, pop up and see, oh, Laura Rachi is flying the Ajax over over the valley. And they're measuring day. these things. Right. And you can have, but I mean, going back to the, the tagging, it's like you will get information right. on the ground in combination with what's to, in the air. Sky. So orbit to core. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, working together as a federal agencies. Right. Yeah, and I got to give John Stock credit at USGS. He's awesome. the uh, Innovation Center Director. That's actually the term he came up with. But it wow. really it captures what we can do together, right? It's collaboration and coordination in the space, in the air, and on the ground, and below. For anybody who's listening, who's interested in getting involved with this stuff, we'll add into the show notes... Uh, the you know, website's links where you can get all the information. Also, we're on Twitter at NASA Ames. We're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. Very fitting as we're pulling agencies within federal agencies within Silicon Valley together yeah, um, to kind of help coordinate. Thanks for coming, Ian. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate the time. 